Guys, good job. All right. Well, I'm not going to sing this one, but this one goes back to a thousand years before Christ, okay? Um, I don't even know what instruments all would have been involved in this song, but uh, this is from David, uh, and this is a love psalm to God. It says this, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And so David writes these words right in the middle of a pit, right in the middle of a valley, right in the middle of a tough season, right in the middle of ultimately being hunted for his life. And so I just want to ask the question and really tee up the question for you today. Have you ever been in a pit? You ever been in that pit of life, maybe a pit of despair and really desperation in life? Have you ever been in one of those valleys that you thought might never end, that it's just, the, the hits just keep on coming? Like, man, another one, and another one, and another one. You're like, when are we ever getting out of this valley? You ever been in a place where you just need deliverance? Where you've tried everything on your own power, and you're like, you know what? Like, I just need deliverance. Like, God, I, I got no other lifeline. I just need you to show up. You ever been in one of those places? And maybe for some of you, that's where you're at today. And so what I want to do today is really just speak something ultimately from the heart of God into your heart today, and hopefully these truths can penetrate uh, your heart. In a way, maybe you haven't heard them before and potentially maybe just need to hear them anew this morning. And so here's the truth I want to give you as we start into this series called Love Psalms, and that is this, and this is the truth that we're going to see really from the life of David, and it's this, our deepest pits can forge our deepest intimacy with God. Our deepest pits can forge our deepest intimacy with God. And so if you're in one of those seasons right now, maybe you could look at it with eyes of hope. Maybe God is bringing out some new wine. Maybe God is doing a new thing this morning, and maybe that thing is ultimately renewal. Because it's really when we start to stir our affection for Jesus anew that we see renewal happen in a way that we've never experienced it before. And this is what David experiences as he's pushed into this season, really, where he has no other option but just to be desperate for God and to trust in God. You see, when David wrote these words, he was a man on the run. Not for what he did right, or not for what he did uh, wrong, but for what he was doing right. You see, he was a mighty warrior for Israel. He was a, a warrior like no other warrior. He was helping Israel conquer in ways that Israel had never conquered before. And because of that, the, he was growing in the eyes of the people in esteem, which ultimately made the king of the time, King Saul, very, very jealous. And this jealousy began to rot away on the inside of King Saul to the point where he sought to kill David with every ounce of his being. He hated David because of the way David was seen in the eyes of the people and the way that he wasn't. And so on multiple occasions, David was inches away from death as with every Every ounce of his being, Saul was seeking after David to kill him. And so on the tail end of that experience, here's what, or here's what uh, David writes about that experience. He says this, I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. And here's what he had to say. He said, the cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. It's not mild language, is it? And it wasn't merely figurative language either. It was poetic, but it wasn't exaggerated. 
I mean, quite literally, he was within inches of death. The cords of death entangled him. I mean, imagine this visual he's giving us through this song. The torrents of destruction. I'm not even sure what the torrent is, but it doesn't sound good. You know, I'm, you don't want that. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. You ever been there? You ever been in a place where it just feels like everything is just closing in? Everything is crashing in on you. Maybe you're there today. So what I want to do for just a little while is I want to communicate to you some things from God's heart to yours from Psalm 18. Perhaps these are things you already know but just need a reminder of today. These are messages from the God of rescue. Here's the first one. God says to you this morning, I hear you. I hear you. It's good to be heard, isn't it? It's good to feel heard in a relationship. It's good to be actually heard in a relationship. I've got a lot of young kids in my house, and I'm not sure I'm heard a lot of the time, you know? Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? Like, is anybody hearing what I'm saying? But it feels good to be heard. And here's what David says. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. And here's the thing with God. He already knows what's in your heart. He already knows what you're going through. He, can, he sees you right now. And from the moment that you speak that prayer, God is already responding. Even if you're not seeing that deliverance yet, what's happening is that in the middle of that pit, God is doing something in you. God is already responding today. Even if you don't see that deliverance yet, even if you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, God is already at work in you today. God already hears you right now. When teaching on prayer, Jesus lays out the Lord's Prayer. Then he says this. He says, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come and I have no food to offer him. Suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up, get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of mere friendship, yet because of, the, of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. You have a friend like that? that you can just show up at midnight, you know? You need something anymore, you better send a text before you just show up at somebody's house at midnight. But hey, bro, I need some bread. I need some bread, right? Like that's not a good idea, you know, today. But if you sent a text to somebody and you truly needed something, you're like, I'm going to show up at your house at midnight. I need something, right? You got a friend like that that at any hour would show up, right? They would answer the phone. They would answer the text. You got a midnight friend like that? I have a lot of friends that have told me, Several friends have told me, you call me. I don't care what hour it is, you call me. If it's 2 a.m., you call me. If you need something, you call me. And I know that they mean it. Do you got a midnight friend like that? A 2 a.m. kind of a friend that will answer whenever you call? Here's Jesus' point here. You think your earthly friends will respond when you call? How much more will your God, your rock and deliverer, respond when you call? Not merely for the sake of the friendship, but here, I love this. Don't hesitate to come before him with shameless audacity. I love that. Like God's inviting us. Jesus is like, 
No, here's why he's going to answer the door, because you're just knocking on that door. Like, you're, not, you're relentless in the way that you're knocking on At some point, your friends will be like, all right, all right, I'm, I'll get you the bread, you know, fine. And God, with a heart of love, is ready to respond when we call to him with shameless audacity. When's the last time your prayer has just had that shameless kind of audacity about it? Or I'm not even going to dare to ask God this. Like, I... What would it look like if we prayed like that with just this shameless audacity, knowing that God always hears us? I love what Mark Batterson points out. 100% of the prayers you don't pray don't get answered. I love good logic, you know? I mean, 100% of the prayers you don't pray don't get answered. Not to say God can't move, but God invites us into the process of saying, I want you to come to me with shameless audacity. I care about you that much. I hear you. So speak to me. Come before me. So God hears you today, friends. At any hour, at any time, no matter how dark the season, it's never too late to come before God with shameless audacity because he hears you. Message number two this morning is this. God says from his heart to yours, I delight in you. I delight in you. Listen to what David says. He says, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me. Why? Because he delighted in me. I like that because sometimes when I'm in a jam, I wonder if God's like, here we go again with this guy. Like, he again? Like, are you are you serious? Like, how many times I got to bail you out of one, you know? Like, can we just get smarter? Like, you know, like, a, what's the deal here? And this is sort of my internal voice for God sometimes. It's like, he must just be so frustrated that I continue to come to him with stuff. But David reminds us why God rescues us. He rescues, he rescued David because he delighted in him. Imagine that. Wrap your head around that. Wrap your heart around that this morning. God delights in you. He's not like, oh, here we go. Here we go again. I mean, think about it. If God is a loving father, I mean, how, how many of you as, as fathers or mothers, or just think about anybody that's like, that you just love, that you delight in, that you truly cherish. If they were hurt or they were in a pit, wouldn't you delight in pulling them out of that? So we got out of the house this week for the first time in a while because, like, it's been so cold and then warm. And it's like, I don't even know what season we're in. But that day that it seemed like springtime, we're like, I don't care if there's ice everywhere. Like, we're getting out. And so we went to the park. We got the scooters out. I'm like, you guys have, like, a whole winter's worth of energy to burn. And we're going to get it all out right now. And so we went out to the park, and we're having a good time. And they're just all on the scooters. And even little Jude, like, he's got his little scooters, like, beep, beep, beep. You know, he's, he floats around on it. I was like, so amazing. And this dude is just like, if there's danger, he's got the radar for it. He's like, where's the danger? Like, I'm after it. Like, where's it at? Like, I've got, I got, give me the danger. And so he finds the one hill in the entire park, you know? He goes up on top of this little hill, and it's like this, like, inverted, and there's, like, ice on the ground, and there's this big puddle that had kind of melted in the middle of it. And he goes to the top of this hill, you know, he's just backing his scooter up to the very top of it. And I'm watching, as one of these moments, like, as a dad, you're like, you're assessing, like, the level of risk. You're like, I think I'm going to see how this one plays out. You know, like, 
I don't know. Like, it's like, it's a pretty big hill. It's not too, you know, and then I'm like, I'm thinking, it's, we may be calling Ann White and going to the emergency room. You know, this is normally our call is first to Ann White, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I got to let him, like, try it, you know. So he's up there. He's got his helmet on, you know, his little curly hair coming through it, and so he's up there, and he's literally loaded up like he's about ready to go into the bobsled run, you know. He's like, here we go, and I'm like, Okay, we're going to see how this, and he kicks off, he does his little deal, he's down. And the whole time, the little bars are going this way. I'm like, he's, he's going now? He's going down. Somehow he pulled it off. He's like, through, like boom. Like, I'm like, all right. And then I'm like, well, we'll let him keep doing it. And I said to Jess, I said, the last, it's going to be the last one. It's going to be the last, it's always the last one, you know? Like, we're just about ready to leave the park. Let's let him do one more, and there it is. So, like, we got, he, he's up there, bobsled loaded up, and every time it's, he's going like this, and he, he does it again, he's, like, going back and forth, and he hits the edge of the sidewalk, and he's, like, like he's half in, half out of the, like, road now, and he just, like, you know how it's happening next. You're flipping over. He flips over and just, like, slams into this big mud puddle, like, just <laughs> covered from head to toe, and he goes... You know, he's like not sure how to feel about it, and then he loses it, you know, because he's soaking wet, he's muddy, he crashed hard, you know, and so, of course, what am I to do in that moment, you know? He's covered in mud, he's like, hey, babe, can you grab, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I'm running over to that dude, you know, he's, he's scared, he's hurt, I pick him up, I don't even care, like he's got these dripping mud all over me, right, we're doing that whole thing. And I'm guessing that for any person you love, if they're in danger, you're going to do that same thing, right? Why? Because you delight in them. It's not a, I don't really feel like it right now. No, it's I delight in you. And you have to understand this about preach. You got to understand this about the heart of God, right? And that's just our love for one another is just a drop in the love bucket compared to God's love for us. I mean, just think about that. This verse always strikes me about Jesus and his love for us. It says this, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and what? Perfecter of our faith. If you're in the pit right now, you have to understand that there's some perfecting that's going on. It's an important work. And then he says this, For the joy set before him, Jesus, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Two things to know about the times when you're in the pit and you're needing rescue. Number one, Jesus has already been there. We have a God who has suffered in every way possible. And I take heart when I'm in the pit and knowing that, that the God that I pray to already knows my pain. He already knows everything about suffering. And not only that, he takes on suffering with joy. Why? For the joy set before him. He delights in us. He delights in saving you. Who would go to such lengths for a sinner such as I? And that's what God does. That's the kind of God that we serve. One that takes pleasure in you and one that takes pleasure in saving you. So run to him with shameless audacity. Now, if you're still hanging out in that pit, it's because God has you there. He loves you enough because he's doing something in that pit. But you better believe that he is there as well, which is the next truth that you need to hear. And that's God saying to you, I'm with you always. I'm with you always. 
even now, even when things don't make sense, even when I can't make sense, even God, of what you're doing in this season, I can't understand it. I trust in you anyway. I trust in the Lord and not in my own understanding. In Psalm 18, 30 through 36, here's what David has to say. He says, for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's, the Lord's word is flawless. He shields all those who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord and who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. How many of you like, I want some deer feet? I don't know what it, I, just give me some feet like a deer, you know? They are very agile, by the way, if you've watched them, you know? He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield, and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. How, how many of you, if you're in a pit, don't raise your hand, but that, that, those words there just infuse something into you. And if you're not there yet, at some point you're going to need words like that to say, Okay, I need a shield right now. I'm in the middle of a storm, and I need a shield. The earth is giving way, and I need a rock. And notice something here, the language here. God doesn't say to David, listen, listen, David, it's going to be all sunny skies, right? It doesn't say he gives us all sunny skies. It doesn't say he will insulate us from all pain. It doesn't say he's just going to make all things easy for those that love him. That's not what it says. It says when the storm comes, we have a shield. It says when the earth gives way, we have a rock. It says that when we are weak, he is our strength. When things are insecure and falling in around us, he is our security. When the fight comes, he trains our hands for battle. He helps us, sustains us, gives us a path on which to walk so that our ankles do not give way. And I love this line, he causes us to stand on the heights. But here's the deal, friends. If you're going to stand on the heights, you better be prepared for the climb. If you want to come out of that valley, there is some climbing to do. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, we better be ready to climb. We went, several of us, to the Grand Canyon a few years ago, and I've told you some stories from there, but just a really fun uh, trip and a really cool experience and just some great camaraderie to get to go with some of my brothers and just, just get out into the middle of nowhere and just take on a physical challenge, and it was great. And uh, a, a group of us did 22 miles in a day. Another group was crazy enough to do some ridiculous amount more, but we're you know, I, I'm like, 22 is good, like up, down to the river, back up. But I'll tell you right now, it's, there's something interesting that happens. When, when we're getting into this thing at about whatever crazy hour we started in the morning, you know, we're out into this thing, and dudes are all having a great time. Like, we're, we're going downhill, and how many of you know the downhill part is like, it's like, let's take pictures, like, let's take it all in. Like, this is great. Like, this is amazing. Like, we're all telling jokes and cutting up. And at some point, like, you're just, like, you're downhill. You have a realization, like, we got to get back up. And it's a canyon, so you know how that works. You know, it's like, you're down there, and at some point, you got to come back up. There's only two ways out. And so you get down to the bottom, and you're, like, you're seeing the river, and it's still good. And then you realize, like, there's either that way up, which is straight back up, or there's that way up, which is straight back up. And either one of them is going to be really painful. And so you start on the uphill, you start on the uphill, and I'm just telling you right now, there is, it is just a, an interesting mental challenge, even more than it is a physical challenge. 
because you start to look up and you're in the middle of this canyon and you can't even see like to the top of the inner canyon, let alone the outer canyon. And so you're just looking at sheer cliffs and you're like, this is crazy. And so you get to this point and we're measuring miles. And at some point we hit the three mile mark and it's like the longest three miles you've ever hiked. Like I can run three miles in 30 minutes or less, you know? And then I'm like, it shouldn't be that bad. Three miles. Like we'll be out here in no time grabbing some dinner. That last three miles is grueling. And we're just like, you're looking because we're marching out at dark. So it's all darkness this way, which is like, if you fall, you see you later. You know, it's like all darkness this way, headlamp. And you're just looking with that headlamp and you're just seeing sheer cliffs to your side. And so imagine how dizzying this is. You're walking on switchbacks, so you're seeing the same cliffs over and over again. It's like, are we going back and forth? Like, I have, I have no idea what's happening, and you're turning these corners. And you just, I'll tell you what, if you don't have other guys with you in that, I would, I would start to think, oh, I just need to sit here. I'm not going anywhere, you know? But you just continue to spur each other on. You continue to take steps forward. And at some point in the middle of that, this lie starts to sink into your mind as you're walking back and forth, which seems like forever. Your mind starts to tell you this lie. This is never going to end. It is never, we are never getting out of here. It's never going to end. Like, it's like a fun house of mirrors. Like, I cannot get out of here. You start to believe that lie. And the same thing happens to us in the valleys of life. You're in the middle of that valley, and the worst lie you can believe is, I'm never getting out of this. I'm never coming out of this. Somebody sent me a message recently, an email, uh, after I shared some stuff uh, a while back that I was going through. And this email, I've continued to read this email. I want to read it to you and because um, I think that this message is important for all of us to take heart today. She said this. She said, regardless of how dark the night Morning is coming. Funny how in the middle of the night, the enemy of our souls wants us to believe the lie that it will be like this always and that joy will not come because morning will not come. Don't believe him, my friend. He is a liar and the father of lies. Regardless of what it feels like, it's not true. Morning will come. Morning will come. And I want you to hear that truth this morning. Morning will come. David, as he's in the middle of the pit, in a different season of life, he writes these words, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So when you're in the middle of that valley and it feels like it's never going to end, when that lie creeps into your mind and wants to float down into your spirit, remind the enemy of this. My flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Keep trusting in God and keep moving forward. And the other thing I would say in those seasons where you're in the valley, you better have some good friends around you. You know, when we function as a body of Christ, you know what part of that means? It means when we're in the pit, we look to somebody that's not in the pit and say, hey, jump down in here with me. Like, keep me company down here in the pit. I need you to pray with me in this pit. Let's go to battle together down in this pit. And that's what we do for one another when we're in the pit. Keep trusting in God. Keep moving forward and invite others to walk with you. It's important. And remember this, that God is with you always. Even when you can't feel him and even when you might not see exactly what he's doing, he is with you always. The last truth I want you to hear this morning from God's heart to yours is this. 
God says this, I am able. I am able. As we read Psalm 18, I wonder how that psalm would have sounded if David was writing it in the middle of that season. Psalm 18, he gets to read these words on the back end of his rescue. And I think for a lot of us, we can celebrate really easily on the back end of our rescue. But it's much harder when you're in the thick of it to throw up hands and just surrender and worship to God. Here's David's words. The Lord lives. Praise be to God, my rock. Exalted be God, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who subdues nations under me, who saves me from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From a violent man, you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. He gives the king great, his king great victories. He shows unfailing love to his anointed, to David, to his descendants forever. God is a God of victory. God is a God who is able. As Ephesians said, he's able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or seek. He wants to do more, and he's, he's in control. He's sovereign. He's wise. He's perfect enough to not give you exactly what you want, but to give you actually what victory looks like, both inside and beyond that. God is a God of victory. He's already secured that victory. He's already done it. We just got to keep marching forward, trusting in him each and every step of the way. And so the question I have for you, in who do you put your confidence? In what do you put your confidence when you're in the pit? I took the kids a few weeks ago for a birthday party down to this place called Main Event. Uh, anybody been to Main Event? It's actually a really cool place. It's fun. Saw some of you guys there. I'll tell you one thing. Here's lesson number one about Main Event. Don't go on Saturday, ever. That's the other thing you need to walk away today with. Don't go to Main Event on It's crazy. Like, there's this stuff going on anywhere, and I was, like, trying to be a good husband, take Aiden to this birthday party, and get all the kids out of the house. I had three of them, you know? And it's just... And the little guy is a flight risk. So I'm like, what, like what, hold on. You know, you got, and if I get back with all three, I'll be happy. Like, it'll be a win, and uh, mommy will be happy. I'll be happy. But it was so, so stressful the whole time. And I'm like, okay. And then you get these, like, they do it now in such a smart way to make lots of money and rip you off. You don't, you get a swipe card. It's like a, you don't even know how many things you're just rolling through. You know, it's just like, all right, just swipe me again, swipe me again. It's like, seven, the kids don't even have to, like, put quarters in anymore. You know, I'd have to go to my grandpa and he'd get his little change purse out and be like, dit, dit, dit. you know, here's a few more quarters, Josh. Go, you know, don't spend it all in one place. But now the kids have a swipe card. They're just like, it's 7.5 credits. What does that mean? I don't know, you know. And then I just see it, you know, in my bank statement later, you know, like, okay, I got to take out another mortgage. Like, here we go. So this is how the arcades are these days. So I'm like, I just need a classic game because like all the, like I, I don't even know, where, are we winning points? Are we losing points? I don't know. Like, so I'm like, forget it. These prizes are horrible. Boys, I'm going to show you a classic, you know? Pull the guys together. I'm like, all right, the claw game. You know, it's like the first game ever invented at the arcade, you know? It's like, it's such a simple little design. It's real easy. You just pull the, you drop button, claw, stuffed animal, winner, you know, almost every time. At least, like, I'm like, I played this when I was a kid. I could get, like, six stuffed animals, like, in, with six quarters, you know? Like, let's do it. So I'm taking them over there. I'm like, and, like, this one's cool. It's, like, got the big claw. Like, this thing, its arms are, like, as big as mine. I'm like, there's no way we can't win, you know? And so I'm, like, I'm lining up. I'm talking, you know, some trash. Like, all right, boys, like, 
watch and learn. Let's show you how it's done. Like, line it up. And I like look to the side. Like, okay, line it up over here. And then hit the button. Boom. And here comes down the claw. I'm like, ooh, well, watch it. Get you a stuffed animal. They're like, I want that. And it doesn't, you get what you get, you know? Like, it's coming down. And it's just like, I'm like, what? What kind of claw is this? Like, it's like got the, like, the flimsiest little claw of all time. It doesn't even shut. And it just kind of like scrapes up over all the stuff. The animal's like, yeah. I'm like, what, are, what is going on with this? I'm like, sh- you know, shake it a little bit. Like, okay, like, let's try again. Button again, line it all up perfectly. It's like the, it's like the weakest little handshake ever. I'm like, get in there and grab that thing. You know, what are you doing? There's a point, I promise. Like, well. Listen, don't be deceived by the size of the claw, all right? Don't be deceived. It looks like it's effective, but it's not, all right? It's not effective. I think we trust in the wrong kinds of things. We're deceived into thinking that, hey, I can rescue myself. Like, I'll, I'll be my own claw. I'll drive myself out of the pit. Or we tend to rely on things like, the, like our bank account to say, hey, listen, that's going to be the thing that I put my trust in. That's the thing I put my confidence in. That's the thing that will deliver me out of jams when I get into jams, right? Or, hey, maybe in the way people perceive me, right? If I can just keep that show going, you know, life will be well. That's where I'm going to put my confidence, right? Or maybe it's in my own skill sets or abilities or whatever it is. We could go through the list. We all put our trust in something. We all have this tendency to put our trust, whatever it is, leadership, the government. I don't know what your thing is. We put our trust in different things, but here's the deal. There is nothing worth putting our trust in besides the person of Jesus. Roy said earlier, he said, here's your line, that claw don't slip. That claw, put your trust in Jesus because that claw don't slip. That claw won't let you down. That person won't let you down. And that's what I want to leave you with this morning. Maybe it's time for you to put your trust back into the person of Jesus. Maybe it's time. Maybe if you really evaluated what you have been looking for deliverance in, it's not really him. And maybe it's time to trust again in the person of Jesus to lift you out. I love what Philippians 1.6, and this verse has just been one of those verses you just read, and you're like, hold on, back up, read that again. Speak that over me again, speak that over me again. I need that one again today. I want to speak these words to you from Philippians 1.6, from me to you. For I am confident of this very thing, Paul says. I'm confident. If Paul's confident about it, I'm confident about it. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. God's going to complete that work. He's going to complete it. You're going to get out of that valley. You're going to get there. Lean close to him in the middle of it. Because he's doing something important in you. And I am confident of this very thing. God will finish what he started if you let him. I want to leave you with this prayer from the Apostle Paul, and we'll just take some time to just reflect on God's goodness one more time in worship. Now to him who is able to immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, to him be the glory forever. Amen. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, God, that you are 
the only thing that we could always count on. When we try to put our trust in another person or try to put our trust in our own abilities or whatever that might be, God, we, those things don't have the same gripping power as you, God, in all of your infinite strength. And so we look to you, Jesus. God, help us to be confident as Paul is confident that he who began a good work will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus.